0: You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see everyone, and thank you for being here. And what a time of worship it's already been as we've sung together. Thank you, Chris and team, for, for leading us in song. But if you're a kindergartner or first grader, you are welcome to go off to Bible study with the Whaley family standing over here. And so I hope you guys have a great time diving into God's word together. And for the rest of us, let me invite you to turn to the book of Leviticus. And this is your first time here with us. We've been working chapter by chapter through the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament. So you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. So you're welcome to go ahead and turn there. We're going to be in Leviticus chapter 16, and the words of our chapter will be on the screen. And so let me read God's word for us. I'll pray, and then we'll dive in uncovering what God's word has to teach us today. So Leviticus 16, starting in verse 1. "'With a bull from the herd for a sin offering "'and a ram for a burnt offering, "'he shall put on the holy linen coat "'and shall have the linen undergarment on his body, "'and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist "'and wear the linen turban. "'These are the holy garments. "'He shall bathe his body in water "'and then put them on. "'And he shall take from the congregation "'of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering.' and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one for the Lord and the other for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord and make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus, he shall make atonement "...for the holy place, because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel, and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place, until he comes out and has made atonement for himself, and for his house, and for all the assembly of Israel." Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood of it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat, Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people and the fat of the sin offering. He shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp." And it shall be a statute to you forever, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever." And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins." And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the literary center and climax of the book of Leviticus, Father, we pray that you would help us to see our need, our problem, that we are sinners, defiled and unclean, Lord, who desperately need atonements, And Father, as we look at your solution to that problem, as you graciously provide atonement for sinners like us, Father, we pray that you would help us to see how this day in Israel's annual calendar, the day of atonement, points forward to the final and complete atonement that has been provided for us in the ministry and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would inflate our hearts with love and gladness and thanksgiving over your grace of atonement that you've given us in Jesus Christ. Spirit, we pray that you would fill our hearts and our minds with the love of Jesus. And Lord, that we would worship him this morning, giving thanks, expressing our gratitude. Lord, as we are amazed at the gospel, the good news of the grace of atonement we have in Jesus. So Father, we ask for your help now in giving us understanding of your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The word atonement is a word you really don't hear used too often anymore. But it's a word that just by its nature inherently has a lot of theological content, a backdrop to it. And so I think that's one of the reasons why the world largely avoids the term, because it's got a lot of doctrinal religious baggage associated with it, baggage in which our secular culture just really doesn't want to have much to do with. But occasionally you'll hear it in society, in our world, sometimes often used in reference to a, a criminal case in which the criminal needs to atone for their sins, maybe in that sense. But in general, the word is very little used. And so we don't really understand what this word is about, what it means. But this word is so important to the message of the Bible, to the the message of the gospel itself, what, what really the good news of Jesus Christ is all about. So if you miss what atonement's about, if you ignore it, if you neglect it, if you cast it aside, you're really going to miss what the Bible is teaching us and what the good news is really all about but you would especially miss the very heart and message of Leviticus (laughs) because the word atonement is essential to the Bible's teaching. Yes, but it's essential, necessary, foundational. If any of us would like to understand what the book of Leviticus is really all about. I mean, just in Leviticus alone, the word atonement appears 46 times, 46 times. 41 occurrences of that word happen between chapters 1 and 16. The whole first half of Leviticus has been building up to this day of atonement in Leviticus 16. The frequency of the word tells us so. So what is atonement? How do we define it? How do we understand what it's about? Well, atonement is how God addresses the problem of human sin how God addresses the problem of human sin. Because in our sin, we have a broken relationship with God. And so atonement is how God, by his own grace, by his own initiative, mends and restores that relationship between sinful humanity and brings them into his holy presence. Atonement is how God handles the penalty, the punishment of sin and how ultimately he reconciles humanity to himself. That's what atonement is really about. So Leviticus 16, as I've already mentioned, it really marks the, the, the thematic center of the book. And in a lot of ways, uh, the, the, the chapter 16 of Leviticus, the day of atonement is the zenith, the, the crescendo that has been building up since chapter 1 as God will atone for the sins of his people on this special day in Israel's calendar. So here's here's the sermon summary. We need atoning blood to cleanse us and bring us near to God. You need it. I need it. We all need atoning blood to cleanse us and to bring us near to God. We need to be clean, and we need to be cleaned in order to be brought near. So this is what we're going to learn on this passage from the Day of Atonement. So as we reflect on this annual day on Israel's calendar, this is this solemn day. As I'm sure you will see, particularly if you are listening careful carefully to Hebrews nine early in the service, all of this finds its fulfillment in Jesus's ministry. The Day of Atonement is a big sign for Israel of the atonement of Christ that would one day be revealed. So let's let's first this morning think through our problem. Our problem. Why do we need atonement? What's the issue? Why? Why is our relationship with God severed? And these first two verses give a strong warning and a reminder of the problem that every single human being has when it comes to their relationship with God. So, so let me review a little bit what we've learned so far from Leviticus, in case maybe you're just joining us today or maybe you've just forgotten over the last few weeks. Let me just kind of remind you how all of this has been building up to Leviticus 16. Because the problem that humanity has goes back to Genesis, Adam and Eve dwelling in that temple garden called Eden, which was a a sanctuary in which God and man dwelt together in harmony and unity and communion as God intended. The world was perfect just as he made it. But humanity's fellowship with God was cut off when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and fell into sin. And so because of God's holiness and righteousness, because of his purity, now the first man and woman, now they deserve God's wrath, his punishment for their rebellious treason against him. But rather than annihilating Adam and Eve right then and there, which God had every right to do, God showed his loving kindness by delaying his justice. But because of their treason against God, because of their sin, they were defiled And their defilement distanced them from God. So God kicks them out of the Garden of Eden. He evicts them out of the east into the wilderness, devoid of God's fellowship that they once enjoyed. So as you continue in Genesis, right? God selects Abraham. He forms a covenant with his descendants. And God's redemptive plan, as we're beginning to see throughout the book of Genesis, intends to undo what human sin has broken. God desires that his human image bearers would come again into the sweetness and fellowship of his presence. That's what God desires. That's how he'll bring glory to himself. So so after God brings Israel the children of Abraham out of Egypt, he takes them to Sinai and he takes them to Sinai and he establishes his covenant with the people of Abraham, with Israel. They're going to be his people. He's going to be their God. And through them, God's going to bless the whole world, right? That's that's God's plan. And so he takes them to Sinai, establishes his covenant with them. And part of the covenant relationship between God and Israel involves the construction of a tabernacle a tabernacle, the tent of meeting. And this will be the, the center point of Israel's camp. This will be the place where God will dwell with his people. And so the tabernacle is, is God's home. It's where his, his, he will dwell in his presence with his people. It's where he will reside And so the tabernacle is a bit of a a restoration of Eden. It's in many ways a microcosm of the cosmos itself. So the book of Exodus leaves us on a cliffhanger. The tabernacle was built, and at the end of Exodus, we see that God's glory actually comes in and fills up and takes residence within the tabernacle, but there's a problem. Moses, who is Israel's mediator, could not enter the tent. He couldn't go into the the tent of meeting. meeting. So, So Eden was back. Eden was rebuilt. Eden was restored. But the problem is no one could enter in. So what's the answer? Israel could come near to God through the atoning blood of animal substitutes offered by a priestly mediator. That's the way back in. That's what the first half of Leviticus has been all about. That the way to fellowship with God, the way that humanity can return to Eden, return into God's presence, is through the blood of animal substitutes offered by a priest that would atone for their sins. So Leviticus chapters 1 through 9, if you go back and look through those chapters, right? they they introduce five different types of offerings as well as establish the priesthood. This is the way, God says, that you can come into my presence, that you can worship me, that we can dwell together. And everything kind of comes to a, a together, of these laws of sacrifice and priestly regulations, they all come together in Leviticus 9. You remember in Leviticus 9 was, was the inaugural day of the tabernacle. That's when worship began at the tabernacle for the first time. Aaron goes through as the high priest. He follows all of God's commands. He does exactly what God says according to the law. And on that day, the Lord accepts the offering of his people. Fire comes out from within the tents and consumes the offering. And this theophany shows God accepting the worship and praise of his people. What a remarkable day. But if you remember, very next chapter, right? Leviticus 10, that glorious day quickly turned into a day of mourning and crisis. As two of Aaron's sons, two of Aaron's sons who served as priest, offered an unauthorized fire within the holiest part of the tabernacle. And their disobedience and their defilement cost them their lives as the fire of the Lord came out, not to consume a sacrifice, but to consume these two men, Nadab and Abihu, who defiled the tabernacle of God. So the death of Nadab and Abihu in in Leviticus 10 presents a, a major crisis in the book of Leviticus, a major problem. Because God has now made a way for Israel to draw near to God, to come into Eden, if you will. But but how in the world is the tabernacle going to continue to operate when it is inevitably defiled by sinful human beings? How is that going to continue? Because humanity is still sinful. And as we come near into God's presence, we're still going to mess it up. We're still going to disobey. We're still going to fail to follow God's law and do exactly as he instructed. So Leviticus 11 through 15, which is where we've been the last few weeks, is an interlude, if you will, an interlude before the solution is given in Leviticus 16. So chapters 11 through 15 provide purity laws for Israel so that uncleanliness would be prevented from coming into the tabernacle and defiling the tabernacle. So you remember, we talked about the dietary laws. We talked about purification after childbirth. We talked about skin diseases. Talked about bodily discharges last week, right? That was a fun one. Uh, And so so these laws, all these laws that God's giving in 11 through 15, they're they're to help prevent defilement from coming onto the tabernacle itself. But Israel's not going to perfectly do that, will they? (laughs) The, The pervasiveness of sin and humanity... Rather, even through their active disobedience or their negligence, eventually defilement was going to come upon the tabernacle. And what happens then? Does the tabernacle just stop working? Is the relationship between God and man broken now because the tabernacle itself is defiled by sin? So defile the palace of a king. Remember, God is Israel's king. Yahweh is Israel's king. To defile the palace of a king is a treasonous act deserving of death. But the tension of Leviticus 10 finds its resolution in Leviticus 16, the chapter before us. Notice notice how Leviticus 16 opens up. Look at verse 1, how it harkens back to chapter 10. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. This is the solution to Nadab and Abihu. This is is how God is going to remedy their defilement of the tabernacle, not just by failing to obey Levitical law, but by dying in the tabernacle, thereby corrupting the tabernacle through their corpses, right? The defilement of their, their bodies. How is God going to restore the tabernacle and remove the defilement that would come upon the tabernacle? So so though God longs to be near his people, our sin makes that relationship very dangerous. In God's presence, there is life, there is joy, there is satisfaction, there, there is fulfillment, but our sin makes it dangerous to approach him because in our sin, we could intentionally or even accidentally defile his home, his name, his goodness, his purity. And we're beginning to see in Leviticus, the limits of the tabernacle system, because the tabernacle system is but an intermediary step that points towards God's ultimate solution in Christ Jesus. And the tabernacle exposes two big problems that still exist. Even back in Genesis chapter three in the fall, two big problems that still exist that the tabernacle has not remedied yet. The first one is distance is distance. The tabernacle was designed to communicate separation and distance between humanity and God. If you look at the architecture of it, that's what it's intended to communicate. Because an ordinary Israelite, if you're just an ordinary Jewish citizen, right, of the the people of Israel, you could only enter into the outer courts of of the tabernacle to bring sacrifices. And as you moved into the gates, you would see from east to the west side of the tabernacle, you would see the tent of meeting. And only a priest could go into the tent of meeting. You weren't allowed to go in there. But yet even within the tent of meeting, there was a sealed off section with a veil covering it. This was the the entrance into the Holy of Holies, the, the inner sanctum, the most holy place where God's presence dwelt thickest. And within this holy of holies was the, the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the covenant was the mercy seat marked by two golden cherubim. And that's where the presence of God resided right over the taber, uh, right over the ark. So Nadab and Abihu's error was most likely going into that place unauthorized, into that forbidden area. So Leviticus 16:2 warns Aaron of, of the, the, the problem, right? Look at Leviticus 16, verse 2. God warns Aaron, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. You see, the day of atonement, as God's getting ready to tell Aaron, this is the only time even the high priests the representative of Israel. Only he could enter into the Holy of Holies, and only that once a year could he enter into that place. Even the high priest was severed from the constant access to God's presence in the throne room. There's distance. And there's distance between us and God because of our sin. Because of our sin, because of your sin, because of my sin, there's a a chasm of separation between us and God, a chasm that none of us can cross. We cannot come near to God lest we die. So we were designed for fellowship with God. We were designed for intimacy with him, but our sin severs that fellowship. That's the problem. We are sinners distanced from God and cut off from the presence of his fellowship where there is joy, life, and life. And satisfaction. And so the distance is a big problem. But the other problem, secondly, is defilement. Defilement. Our sin defiles us and everything we touch. By coming into God's home with unclean hands, we slander, we dishonor God's holy name. You know, the day of atonement was a day of cleansing the tabernacle from the defilement of human sin. That's what the day was really all about. Aaron did not go into the Holy of Holies to experience joy and communion with God. That's not why he went in. Rather, he entered into the Holy of Holies with fear and trepidation as the one who did not belong there. His mission was, was just one thing. He, his job was to clean the Holy of Holies with blood, purifying the ark of, from human defilement. And then he got out of there. That that was his job. His job was not to enjoy being in the presence of God. His job was to get in, clean it, and get out. The day of atonement was the annual cleansing of the tabernacle, dealing with the defilement that would inevitably come upon it so that the tabernacle could continue its operation. You see, the day of atonement was an annual reminder for Israel of the problem. Of the problem of human sin, that we are distant from God and that we defile his home and we are not welcomed there. So the day of atonement was a solemn day. It was a day of affliction, Leviticus 16 calls it, a day in which Israel would come face to face with their defilement, with their sin, with their need, with their problem. And that if it wasn't for God's grace, and providing atonement for their sins, they too would be cut off, severed, and destroyed for their sin. You see, like like Israel, we as sinners have the same exact problem. Our sin defiles us and distances us from the God we were designed to have fellowship with. And if it wasn't for God, and his initiative, and his grace, we too would be lost in our sin, we would be condemned in God's judgment, and we would be eternally separated from God in a place called hell. There is separation, there is distance, there is wrath. The day of atonement highlights and exposes our problem, but the day of atonement also shows us God's solution to that problem. That leads to the second aspect, God's solution. God's solution, verse 3 through 28. So now that we've identified our problem, we can now see God's solution. And this solution that God gives to Israel foreshadows the ultimate solution of Christ Jesus in the day of atonement. So so what actually happened on the day of atonement? What, What actually goes on in this special day? Well, the day began with Aaron's preparation, the text tells us. Aaron would take off his high priestly garb. You remember that his high priestly garb was was pretty ornate, kingly, regal, if you will. But he would take off that high priestly garb, and he wore just a plain linen garment, nothing fancy. And after bathing himself, he would put on these, these humble clothes, Clothes of a servant, clothes of of brokenness, clothes of mourning over sin to show humility as he would enter into God's presence. So Aaron offered a bull as a sin offering for himself and for his household. And then he took two goats from the people and he cast lots to determine which goat served which function. So one of the goats would be offered to the Lord and the other goat would be offered to Azazel. Now the ESV just transliterates this word from the Hebrew as its meaning is a, is a bit uncertain. Some have tried to suggest that this is some sort of demonic figure, but that that's unlikely as Israel is repeatedly warned against making sacrifices to false gods and idols. So that would seem to be out of out of step with the rest of the law. Instead, a probably refers to a rough or rocky place, or it's possibly a compound word made up of the Hebrew words for goat and go away. So literally, this is the going away goat. The, the best translation for it is probably the traditional one, the scapegoat, the scapegoat. A bull was then selected to be used as a burnt offering for, for Israel. So there were a total of of, of four primary animals used on this day of atonement. There was the bull for Aaron's sin offering for himself and for the rest of the priests. And then there secondly was the goat of Israel's sin offering. Third, there was the scapegoat for Israel. And then fourth, there was a bull for Israel's burnt offering. So as we look at these three animals God uses for Israel, for the congregation, I think each of these animals points to different aspects of God's solution of the atonement that he would give us ultimately in Jesus Christ. So so let's look at three aspects of the atonement that God provides us, particularly through these three offerings of Israel. So the first one is propitiation. Propitiation, P-R-O-P-I-T-I-A-T-I-O-N. If you need help spelling it, it's a strange word. It's a word that's not used very often, but the first goat communicates this idea of atonement as propitiation. Cleansing the tabernacle began in the inner part of the tabernacle and then worked its way to the outside. So it begins. So when you're cleaning the tabernacle, you start in the the deepest part in the Holy of Holies, then you clean the rest of the tent and then you clean the outer courts so Aaron first slaughtered the bull as a sin offering for himself, and then he would enter the Holy of Holies. It's the first place he went. And so he's given very specific instructions on how he is to enter. He, he burned incense to create a smoke that blocked his vision of the glory of the Lord above the mercy seat so that he would not die. Then he would take the blood of the bull that he sacrificed for himself, And he would sprinkle the front of the mercy seat seven times with the blood of that bull. And then Aaron would leave. He would go and sacrifice the goat that was designated for the Lord through the casting of lots. And he would take the blood of that goat. He would go back into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle the front of the mercy seat seven times as the goat is for Israel. So as Aaron completed the cleansing of the Holy of Holies, we see that he begins to make his way outward, right? He, he begins to, to clean, clean cleanse the tent, and then he cleanses the, the altar in the outer courts. And notice that the blood is cleansing the tabernacle itself. The text is very explicit about this. Look at, look, look at verse 16 of chapter 16. Thus, he shall make atonement for the holy place. So the atonement is is for the tabernacle. The atonement is for the tabernacle so that Israel's pathway to worshiping God and being in relationship with him can remain open and so that it wouldn't be defiled. But the atonement is needed because of Israel's sin and degradation. Look at the end of verse 16, right? Thus he shall make atonement for the people, uh, for the holy place. Why? Because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel because of their transgressions, all their sin. So here we see an important part of atonement that God gives us, ultimately in Jesus Christ. And this is the idea of propitiation, that through the blood of sacrifice, of a substitute, the wrath of God was redirected from where it deserved and placed on another. So propitiation is getting at. The, the, the goat of the, the sin offering, the goat that was slain and slaughtered, this goat of the sin offering took on the wrath and judgment that Israel deserved for their sins. The goat served as a substitute. And then the blood of the goat was used to cleanse the, the defilement within the tabernacle so that the path of worship can be left open. So the New Testament calls Jesus our propitiatory sacrifice. This is what Jesus did. Jesus is our substitute. He is the one who took on the penalty and consequences of our sin, the one who bore the wrath of God that our sins deserved. The Apostle John calls Jesus, quite simply, the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 1-2. This is a big part of what Jesus is doing on the cross as he atones for our sins, as he is being crushed in our place. He is taking on the wrath that you deserve, that I deserve. And Jesus is actively enduring God's wrath and judgment for our sins. The book of Isaiah would say he was crushed for our iniquities. But there's a second aspect of atonement that the day of atonement highlights here. And this is the idea of expiation. Expiation. E-X-P-I-A-T-I-O-N. Expiation. Because as the tabernacle was cleansed with the blood of the first goat, the second goat communicated the casting out of the sins from the tabernacle itself, out of the camp, into the, the wilderness. So notice the, the, the trajectory of the cleansing here. It begins inside in the Holy of Holies. Then Aaron cleanses the, the, the tent. Then he cleanses the outer courts and then after the tabernacle itself has been cleansed by the blood of the goat, then Aaron would take the second goat, the live goat, and he would lay his hands upon the goat, both hands, and he would confess the sins of Israel, every single one of them. And as he confesses the sins of Israel, as he lays his hands upon the goat, he is symbolically placing all the sins of God's people onto the goat. And then a man was designated to guide the live goat out into the wilderness, far enough away where he would be lost, right? Into a remote area, ensuring that the goat would never find its way home. And then he would release the goat into the wilderness. And as the goat was released into the wilderness, so did it take the sins of God's people with it. So this is a second aspect of atonement, of what Jesus has done for us, expiation. Expiation is the removal of sin from our accounts. The sin is being canceled. It's being covered. It's no longer being held against us. It's removed from us. It's taken off of us. And so the live goat in the wilderness communicates, this is exactly what Jesus does for us upon the cross, that he casts our sin away. He takes it off of you and me. And, and for those who have their faith in Christ, and then he, he sends it away. He casts our sins as far as the East is from the West because of Jesus's atonement. God no longer holds our sin against us. We are forgiven as our sin is covered and cast away by the atonement of Jesus. So as Jesus died, he is our propitiation as he takes the penalty of our sin but he also is our expiation as he removes sin from our accounts. So through atonement, through Jesus's blood, we can now freely come into the presence of God and worship him. That leads to the third sacrifice I want to highlight here of being one of unification of unification. So this is another aspect of atonement that we see particularly in the burnt offering of the bull given after the goats were accomplished. So now that the tabernacle was cleansed by the blood of the the one goat, and then the, the sins were removed, cast out of the camp by the live goat, the function of the tabernacle is restored. Worship begins. Union and fellowship with God can be restored with a third offering. And this was the bull of the burnt offering that Aaron, we're told, he would take off his linen garments that he's been working in, right? He, He would take them off, he bathed, and then he would put back on his normal priestly attire, and then he would offer up a burnt offering on behalf of the nation. And if you remember when we talked about the burnt offering, the sacrifice communicated atonement but also communicated fellowship with God. It's also known as an ascension offering because as the the smoke of the burnt offering ascended into heaven, it was a picture of the worshiper ascending into heaven in fellowship with God. So the third offering teaches us the, the really the result of atonement, that worship is restored and we are united again with God. After the day of atonement, Israel's fellowship with their God was restored. The blood of Christ does the exact same thing for us. He brings us into fellowship with God. And though we were far off, though we had distance now in Christ, we are brought near though. We were defiled and unclean now because of the blood of Christ, we are cleansed and we can be united in him and we can have fellowship with the God who made us, who saves us and who desires us to fellowship with him. You see, as we look at the mission and ministry of Jesus, we see that Jesus is the ultimate solution. Because the day of atonement points us forward to a greater need that we have, the solution to God's problem, to the problem God is trying to solve. Because the tabernacle doesn't fully resolve it, does it? The day of atonement doesn't really fully resolve the problem of distance and defilement because access to the inner sanctum is still barred, right? Aaron can only go in there once a year. They they can have fellowship with God, but it's not to the extent and deepness and richness as God designs and desires. We cannot enter into the holy of holies. And not only that, but defilement had to keep coming back. And so Israel had to do the Day of Atonement year after year. Every year, they would need to do this ceremony, this Day of Atonement again to deal with the problem of sin. But as we look to Jesus, we see that Jesus provides the final solution to the problem of sin and fulfills the purpose of the Day of Atonement. And that leads thirdly to our remembrance. Our remembrance. You see, the very end of chapter 16 reminds us that, that Israel is to observe this day of atonement every year on the seventh month on the 10th day. They're to do this annually. The day of atonement, or Yom Kippur, as, as it's called today, is observed by the Jewish people, usually in September or October each year, depending how the calendar falls. And the day is one in which the text says the people are to afflict themselves in verse 29. Afflict themselves. Afflict themselves and fasting, and mourning, and grief due to their sin. And when the tabernacle stood, and then ultimately the temple, each year the high priest did this. He would go into the most holy place. He would cleanse it by atoning blood. Each year, atonement had to be given again, and again, and again. Every year Israel celebrated this holiday, this this festival, this, this important day in their year. It was a reminder, a remembrance of their sin, of the need for atonement, of their need for God's grace, if they would ever to be together with their God. So just like most of Leviticus, the day of atonement is anticipated and fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus. And the author of Hebrews makes this connection between the day of atonement and Jesus's death on the cross explicit. Explicit. In Hebrews 9, the passage we read earlier this morning, the author shows us that, that Jesus is the high priest who entered into the tabernacle of heaven and who purifies us by his blood, not temporarily, but permanently. Let, let's look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23 through 28. And you're welcome to turn there in your Bibles if you like. should be on the screen. Hebrews 9, starting in verse 23. Let's read what the author of Hebrews has to say. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are the copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places each year with blood, not his own for then he would have to have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. See, the book of Hebrews is a sermon series through Leviticus, one far better than I could ever hope to preach. You see, while Aaron went into the the Holy of Holies, he went into a Holy of Holies made of hands, made by hands, a copy of the heavenly realities to which the tabernacles reflected. And as Aaron went into the Holy of Holies, he did so with fear and trembling, with blood and bathing. He didn't belong there but not not Christ. The Holy of Holies is Jesus' home. It's where he belongs. It is where he has dwelt for all of eternity. And so Jesus can enter into that place with confidence, with boldness, as the one who sits upon the throne. This is where he lives. And he can enter then as a great high priest. And before the throne of God, he can then offer up himself his precious atoning blood for our sins. And as he offers up himself before the presence of his father, Jesus makes permanent and eternal atonement for his people. See, Jesus had no need to offer himself repeatedly. The blood of bulls and goats can't do that author of Hebrews tells us that, right? They they did nothing but point to the atoning sacrifice that was to come. Their blood didn't, wasn't pure enough or righteous enough to actually deal with the penalty of sin. It had to be the blood of God's own son. And so Jesus didn't need to go in year after year, even back in eternity past to, to sacrifice himself, to suffer. Rather, he just had to do it once. And the atonement that he made upon the cross is once and for all the death of Christ has atoned all the sins of God's people. He has put sin away by the one sacrifice of himself. So the day of atonement finds its fulfillment in the high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. We have a high priest who by his pure and blameless blood atones for our sins. So Jesus propitiates divine wrath for sin. He's our substitute. He bears our penalty, but he is our expiation as well. He is driving our sin far away. He's removing it from our account and he is our unification. He brings us into fellowship with God. Remember, as Jesus dies upon the cross, the veil of the Holy of Holies is torn in two from top to bottom. Jesus has opened up by his atoning blood access into Eden, access into communion with God, access into heaven for all who would enter in through the gate of Christ who enter by faith. So have you trusted in this Jesus, this high priest, this atoning sacrifice who by his love and grace and mercy and compassion has provided atonement for all who might believe? You see, the way of God is open to you this morning. You can have access to God in a way that Aaron and the high priest of Israel never had. You can turn from your sin. And in humiliation, I urge you to fall on your face and call onto Jesus this morning for salvation. Because Jesus has borne your sin. Trust in Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord as your God, who by his grace has made atonement for your sins by the blood of his only begotten son. Church, may we never forget, never forget what Christ has done for us. The day of atonement is no more. It's no more. The final Yom Kippur is not this year. It was 2000 years ago. On Good Friday, that was the the only, the last day of atonement. There's no more need for blood sacrifices for a scapegoat for a goat to be slaughtered, for a bull to be offered. No, Jesus was that sacrifice. And as he died on Golgotha's hill, he made atonement for his people, past, present, and future for all of eternity. And so now, because of Jesus and how he's fulfilled this day, we can now approach his holy throne without fear and trembling, but with confidence, knowing that we will be welcomed before the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God, not because of our righteousness, not because of our goodness, but because of Jesus's righteousness that has been credited to us by faith. Church, now, if you're in Jesus, you can boldly approach the throne of grace. The atonement that Jesus has given you is a perfect and permanent atonement. But like Israel, we cannot forget. We cannot forget our need and God's provision of atonement. That's why God had Israel do this year after year because they needed it, but he wanted them to remember their sin and their need for a substitute. And even though the day of atonement is fulfilled, we cannot forget what Christ has done. We too must remember. So as we take the Lord's supper, Each week, we do so as Jesus commanded us to do, to take the Lord's Supper till he comes again. But we do so, Jesus tells us, in remembrance of him, remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. The bread and the cup, they fill up our imagination and fuel our collective memory together as God's people as we rehearse and recall the precious gospel truths That are being heralded this day from Leviticus 16. Because the atoning blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us, it has brought us near into the very presence of God. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful that because of Jesus, because of his blood, because of his atoning sacrifice upon the cross, Lord, that he took on our wrath, our penalty, our sin that we deserved. But Lord, that he also removes that sin. He expiates it. He casts it away. And Lord, that by the atoning blood of Jesus, our sin is not just propitiated and expiated, but Lord, that we are now united to you by faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, now we have free access into the Holy of Holies because Christ has opened the way. Father, I pray for, for anyone in this room who doesn't know Jesus Christ, who have yet to put their faith in him, Lord? I pray or that they would see the condition that they are in or that by your spirit's help, that you would help them to recognize their problem. It's the same problem all of us have that we are sinners who are defiled and who are distant and separated from you, God, but Lord, you are loving and rich and mercy and kind and patient and in your compassion, And in your zeal for your own glory, you sent your son Jesus to be our sacrifice so that by his blood, we might be cleansed and brought near into your presence. Father, I pray that anyone who is defiled and distant from you this morning, Lord, that you would do a work in their heart, that you would open up their eyes to see the the realities of their sinful state. But Lord, that they would not, hesitate to fall on their knees to call out to you in faith this morning or that you would save them from their sins and so cleanse them and bring them near. Father, would you save those who are lost this morning? And God, I pray for those of us who had been cleansed. Lord, help us to remember that we didn't cleanse ourselves. <laughs> we didn't bring ourselves near. Lord, Jesus's blood did that for us. And so father, as we prepare to remember the day of atonement on good Friday, as we take the cup, as we drink, as we, as we eat the bread, would we pray that you would fill our memory and remember and cause us to express in great thanksgiving to Jesus Christ for what he has done. So father, Holy spirit, we pray that you would magnify Jesus Christ as we worship him now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.